Thank you for listening to the Around the Net Post Tennis Podcast. Please tune in for new episodes every Wednesday and every Sunday. We are back for another episode of Around the Net Post. Welcome back. Coming off the back of a fantastic episode, uh, the first guest star, Chip Moore. Uh, so thank you again for, for Chip for coming on last last week. This week, it's or this midweek episode, it's myself, George Barford, and I'm here with Jacob Andrus. Uh, Jacob, why don't you start with giving a brief uh, rundown of of how the college matches have gone in your sphere? Yeah, I will love to do that. So we're we're still pretty early in the season. We probably have played, I'd say, about six or so, five or six matches now. Um, a couple of them were exhibition against D1 programs. Um, some of them were against a couple of Division II opponents. But uh, Division II matches have gone pretty well so far. We haven't haven't lost one of those. And then for the Division Ones, we've competed a couple mid-major matches. Um, none of them have gone our way, but I would say we've kind of gotten what we wanted out of them, some good competitive matches for the freshmen so that they can kind of, you know, get their feet under them in the college environment. And then also we're able to, you know, pull out some individual wins, both in singles and doubles against a couple of these D1 opponents. So a uh, pretty good job, I would say, by the the returners on our team and, uh, some really impressive wins. If you, you know compared UTRs between the two teams, there's uh, some of the wins we had were you know two point gaps almost in UTR. So uh, that just goes to show you that UTR is not everything. But uh, overall, pretty decent start, and we're moving into our first you know big matchup of the season in Division Two. We've got uh, your second alma mater, uh, Wingate University, coming up here shortly, and I believe they're ranked somewhere in the top either top 10 or top 15 so uh it'll be a fun is that one. at the gate are you playing it, them at the gate it is yep on the road for us we uh we played wingate at home last year and they took us down either 5-2 or 4-3 can't remember off the top of my head but we'll uh we'll be looking forward to this one on the road here since they're uh you know quality program and picked to win their conference this year and you know a favorite to make a run deep in the ncaa tournament is that a, a midweek clash or a weekend affair it is. It's uh, during the week, a Thursday, a school day. So uh, maybe, you know, some of those guys will be coming from class a little little sluggish. You, you can always hope. What, what time is it? I, I might have to uh, have to come out and watch. I believe it's at 2 p.m. So that is no good. A little tough for you to make it out there. Yeah. And work like that, but uh, maybe a rain delay could go later. They have light, uh, lights out there. That is true. You know, under the lights, it could be, you know, 4-3 clinch either way. That'd be pretty fun. I uh, I saw one of your guys. Uh, you you'll have to remind me his name. He uh he was conference player of the week this week after a big win against Gardner Webb. He's got an interesting look with the um, the reflective lenses. Yes, that'd be Chase Martin, big lefty, massive serve, huge forehand. Uh, you know, played some really good tennis this past week and taking down a you know number two player in the the tennis team he was competing against. And uh, you know, hopefully that's kind of a know sign of things to come for him this season i think he's primed to have a awesome you know i would say division two record d1 record he's already off to a great start hasn't lost yet i believe in singles and he may have lost one doubles match but uh really strong start for him so far this year now are the are the shades is that a a mental game because no one likes to lose to a guy in sunglasses or is there is there method behind that madness um, I think it's a combination of he, you know, wears corrective lenses for most of his, uh, you know, schoolwork and stuff like that. And so 
you know, I think it also could play a little mental side because, you know, there's been very few players, you know, in tennis history that have taken, I would say, the the glasses route there. You've got players like uh, Yanko Tipsarevich, you know, top 10 player rocking the... But, but they were goggles. This guy, the, you, you know, the, your guy, they're not even goggles. They're just sort of sunglasses like he's on the beach. <laughs> that is true. Yeah, I think he does. How don't they fall off? I think he goes back and forth. I'm not sure if they have, you know, a little uh, cord on them or not, but... I mean, he he's been able to pull it off for the last year or so. So I'm he's blue tacking them to his ears, I reckon. <laughs> Maybe they're connected to his hat somehow. I don't think I've seen him play without a hat before. Interesting. Talking of uh, glasses, I had a bit of a crisis this week um, at work, and and I'm not I'm not going through a, a mid twenties crisis, but I I thought I'd invest in a pair of those blue light spectacles, you know, that are, are, the, are the the most recent fad. And I thought, you know, this would be good, you know, protect myself from corporate America's greatest enemy, the screen. <laughs> Within, you know, about five minutes of walking into the office on Monday this week, people had, you know, there, uh, there were some comments received that, you know, I looked a bit like Jeffrey Dahmer. So I, I took it on the chin. But it also also happened that I was, I've been growing the, st- the stash out this, you know, last couple of weeks. So in the same day, I also received a comment that I looked like Ted Bundy. So... <laughs> I'm riding the ups and downs of this week, but it's uh, certainly not been without its its derogatory comments. But yeah, just thought I'd, I'd share that little funny story with you, Jacob. That is, uh, I love to hear that. I'm, I'm very interested to see what this completed look is going to look like. I've lost the glasses. I, I I had to choose. I made a. I was at a, a crossroads, and I, I chose uh-huh. chose the stash over the glasses. I'm, I'm more going for the Ted Lasso look. That, mm-hmm. That's the that's the goal. Um, but enough about about my my poor fashion choices. Let's let's get into to what you know we we anticipate this week being a quiet week and there's actually some pretty interesting content that came out of it. Um, and then for the second time in this podcast, I'm looking at a note on this page I have in front of me that says Murray and a sad face next to it. So that looks like it could be a recurring theme this you know this this season this year. And they actually came under fire under after another loss by you know sections of you know tennis media that. We're saying, you know, you should quit. You're damaging your legacy. And I, I don't know what you think about that, but I think that's absolutely pish posh. I think it's absolutely ridiculous, you know, in the you know closing, you know, closing ceremony of his career that he's coming under fire for tarnishing his legacy after, you know, losing to guys that are more than a decade younger than him. You know, if he enjoys tennis that much that he wants to, you know, fly around the world and enjoy it, so be it. You know, what, what are the expectations here that, of you know the media of, of how well he's supposed to do i think it's i just didn't agree with those those comments or that criticism at all yeah i would i would agree with you i don't really see how it's it really relates to uh you know his overall career when he is losing matches and having maybe a bad patch here at the maybe the tail end of his time on the tour but you know i thinking back players like even roger federer has had some bad seasons where he went through stretches where he Maybe wasn't losing every match he played, but he was, you know, struggling in early rounds of some tournaments. He had, you know, Rafa had a couple of years where he was dealing with injuries and struggling. And even Novak, when he came both before his uh, his surgery and then coming back from surgery, he had losses to players like Dennis Istomin or Hyun Chung at you know, his best major. And then losses early in rounds, maybe a Nick Kyrgios or someone like that. So I don't, I don't really hear people talking about how Djokovic's legacy is tarnished because he, you know lost 10 years ago in the second round of some random tournaments i don't don't really see how that would really be the case for marie either 
No, I, I completely agree with you. And, and honestly, you know, no disrespect to 250s or, you, you know, players like Holgerun, they just love them. But, you know, what what does it matter? What what is How does losing in a couple of 250s affect a legacy of three Grand Slams, you know, several Masters 1000s and Davis Cup, you know, just flying the flag uh, for a country that struggled with, you know, producing top players for so long. Olympics, you know, what what does losing in 250s really mean? I think it's it's nonsense. Uh, living legend, uh, the one and only Alexander Bublik with the most un-Bublik-like statistic from this week. He, he he won the tournament, had some good wins, beat, you know, Alger, Aliasim in the, in the semis, um, most notably, but he was the first player, male player, to ever win a tournament after losing the first set in every single one of his matches. Well, isn't he's just not the guy you would think would be attributed to that statistic. Yeah, I, I've never really thought of him as, you know, a great third set warrior or clutch third set player. And, you know, he just goes and loses the first set and then, you know, takes off and wins four matches in a row, whatever it was, five matches maybe to win that tournament. So, I mean, that's a I mean, pretty big accomplishment for someone that, you know, hasn't quite had the same level of success as a lot of the, you know, top five, top 10 guys who you'd almost assume would come back from a first set deficit against lower ranked players. Yeah, I, I also the the other part of that statistic is that last year he only won twice from losing the first set, and he did oh, it four God. times in a week. Four times in a row is you know that's very yeah. impressive there. Um, but that there wasn't too much else to report from last week. Um, you know, hence our shift in focus. I we're going to take our first break here shortly. I I have sausages in the oven that, and I hear the beeper going. But after the break, we'll we'll announce our next guest star, and also we've had uh, we've we forgot to we promised that we'd tell the UNC story a couple of episodes ago, but that never happened. So come back after the break, and and we'll we'll hear that. Welcome back. Thanks for staying with us um, around the net posters. We appreciate your support. We also appreciate the continued support of Mark Milne and Thirty Thirty Tennis. Um, where each game starts at 30-30, shortening points, making them more entertaining, uh, increasing the pressure for players, um, and really tennis's most exciting uh, shortened format. Um, moving forward, um, we continue to, to thank them for their support on this podcast. Sunday, so not this Sunday, next Sunday, we'll be having our second guest episode. Um, and a little teaser uh, for you just to, to build the suspense. A little riddle for you. If you've got two ground strokes, but no backhand, what have you got? Um, and uh, f- find us on Instagram at, at around the net post um, and message in your, your answers. And if you get it right, we will uh, we'll shout you out um, during that episode next Sunday. So, Jacob, I think the, the biggest um, the biggest com- amount of comments that we've received was uh, regarding the, the UNC story that you teased so well a few episodes ago. It was uh, we we teased it, but never actually told the story. So I'll uh, I'll uh, share that with you now. I, uh, I UNC is a client of mine, so we well I I drove up there to, from Charlotte to to Raleigh, and I had this old car. It was the first car I ever had, and it, it was a nice car, but it, there was a few issues. You know, the passenger side window didn't roll down, the air conditioning didn't work at all. Um, so I get there, and it's middle of summer in Raleigh. It's about 97 degrees. 
Um, and I meet with with the coach there, one of the most renowned coaches in college tennis. Um, and I, I, you know, bit of an bit of an idol. You know, if you you know tennis, you have, you know you feel a little bit small in in those guys' presence. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was, you know, he's like, let's go and let's go and I'll give you a tour of the campus. You know, we walk out inside the building, and you know, I assumed that he would drive. Um, he's like, my car's on the other side of the campus, so you're going to have to drive. You know, so I, he gets in, I, he starts it up. And immediately we both just start sweating, you know, and it's about a 10 minute drive. It's 97 degrees inside a hot car that's been parked outside for two hours. Um, and it was just one of the most embarrassing moments of probably my my professional career, career probably in my life. Just sat, sat in the car with world renowned tennis coach, just sweating. And about five minutes in, he finally asked, he said, can we put some air on? I said, yeah, <laughs> that, doesn't, that doesn't work. And also that window next to you doesn't wind down either. So we're going to have to sit it out. And just uh, just entertaining and very embarrassing story for me. Um, I have got a new car that the air conditioning does work now. So you don't have to worry about that. I'm glad you informed the listeners because I would have, you know, been afraid for you if you ever had to travel back and, you know, drive another client around. Yeah, in the, in that kind of heat. But Did you also, uh, that was, was that the same day you got to hit him with the team or was that a different? Yeah, day? that was the same day. Yeah, okay. same day. Gosh, yeah, he's probably like, oh my goodness, this guy, you know, played tennis, but those uh, those lower level schools, not you know, not Power Five level, they're they're not doing too well, you know. If there's this is the cars that their guys are driving. No, no nil deal. Yeah. No. no free, um, no free machine, <laughs> trucks or anything like that. No, um, but yeah, that was good. I, I was surprised he asked me to hit in after after that experience for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, moving on to the the main segment of today's show. Um, which is the the big news in tennis recently of you know this the Saudi Arabian involvement um, with the release of what they're calling it the Six Kings Slam, uh, which is an exhibition event with the prize money of reportedly the winner will get close to six million dollars, which is ludicrous. That's a lot um, of money. Yeah, a lot of money. I could definitely have, have gotten a new car with that that kind of money, but um, the the field will be Novak Djokovic, Rafa Nadal. Uh, Carlos Alcaraz, Yannick Sinner, uh, Daniel Medvedev, who have all won Grand Slams, and then they threw in Hogarun as the sixth player there, um, which will come to that 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 last selection because I, I assume the purpose was to have it. You know, if you've won a Grand Slam, you know we're going to basically have a tournament to you know a tournament of champions almost, uh, which would have been really cool. But I just I wanted to touch on you know I, I know the the Saudis der- uh, divide a lot of opinion especially after their involvement with, you know, Formula One, the, the Saudi Pro League um, football or soccer, and uh, with golf, uh, most most notably. Um, whatever you think, I, I think you kind of have to tip your hat to the intelligence of, of investing in sport, just based on that, you know, sport's the world's greatest asset, commercial opportunity, the packaging of it, you know, it, it's such a commercial opportunity now. And, you know, with all the business of sports washing and, and that, let's put that aside. You know, I think it is happening, but I don't overly want to get into the, the politics of that issue. But it, what do you think about the, the commercial opportunity that they're buying into and tapping into? I mean, I don't think you can deny the intelligence of, of what they're pursuing. Yeah, and no, I think it's it's been very interesting to see how they've kind of moved from sport to sport over the last few years. Um, I mean, for myself, I never really had 
too big of an opinion on what was happening, mainly because I'm not really someone that watches much golf at all. I'm not really invested in Formula One. I mean, I, I keep up a little bit with, with soccer, football, as you say, but not really any more than outside of kind of like how the, the big like Premier League and Bundesliga and stuff like that are doing. So it didn't really concern me too much, you know, aside from, you know, when Ronaldo went out to play for whatever club he's playing for there. But I'm I'm kind of interested to see now how tennis will affect that as well, because the ATP system is a little bit, set up, I would say set up differently compared to soccer, where you can't just start your own league and, you know, have a tour. You kind of have to go through the same process to get ATP points as everybody else where you can't, you know, just set up your own tournament and have points unless you're from Saudi Arabia and you have enough money to just, you know, bring players over without even doing that. So Yeah. I, I think that the optic besides the optics of the of the situation and you you know, they they tried to buy golf, which I I don't think is overly gonna work. And they tried to, I guess, buy a league in Saudi Arabia and just buy play bring players in. But all the hype and all the stress over, you know, buying you know the, you know one of the world's greatest assets which was you know football and the commercialization of football you don't hear anything about that anymore it's and you know there was jordan henderson was a famous player who you know came back because you know the journey wasn't for him out there i i don't i think it's a lot of you know a lot of talk a lot all trousers but i think people will lose interest in this you know purely because you can't buy tennis it is not like a league where it's based in one country it, it's it's global and players are come from all different pathways all over the world and there's no there's no league it's not a league it's just you know you're going to give out contracts to all 1000 ATP ranked players and then what 500 others who are trying to get ranked it doesn't seem you know quite it doesn't seem possible i don't really i can't foresee the the end vision of this yeah, the only maybe the only possible way they could do something like that is if they make a a club team format, almost you know like a college tennis equivalent, where you've got leagues of maybe three or six pros and you play multiple lines of matches. Like, like they do in the French, like the French system. You know, like yeah. there was like, like guys like Dustin Brown played that. You know, that yeah. kind of system. Is that what you're envisioning? Yeah, something more like that, where you've kind of got like tiers, almost like the, you know, how the, the Premier League system with the multiple levels is set up where you get relegated if you're not good enough. And maybe that means you move down a tier if you are, you know, don't have ATP points, you're in that second tier. If you're like a college tennis player, you're in, maybe in the third tier or something. But I mean, I, I could see that potentially working because you kind of have to do that in a, you know, set location. You can't have everything be yeah. too far. Hurt, but kind of like the college system but with relegation would, would you watch that would you watch that package if if the players were good enough like i would i think it would be fun to see something like uh you know in davis cup they kind of play that same format but it's staggered so that you're not playing concurrently you're kind of playing as time goes on and i think tennis is a difficult sport to watch you know multiple matches at the same time there's been efforts you know on, on espn and maybe on YouTube as well with Cracked Rackets where they try to live stream and you have to jump around a bunch. And I think it would be tough to do that, but I, I think it would be fun to see, you know, some of the top guys in a team format, but we, we kind of have Davis Cup for that already, even though that's been gutted a little bit in recent years. Yeah, I think it would be hard to go to a team format without 
it's it's not like soccer where you play for that club and even then you know it's it's a little different you know they're they're still getting paid not many players have a you know undying loyalty to a, a certain we're gonna I'm gonna call it football club but you know soccer whatever you want to call it but you know if you just you know they call it a name you know like the Blazers and then you know that's your club how do you have loyalty to that you know it's all it's all financial and I think you know in the you know in the college game you have loyalty well, before the NIL deals, but you know that's your that's where you go to school, that's where you live. Like you have loyalty to that, you're connected to that. I I think it would be very hard to replicate, and I don't I don't think it would be successful. Yeah, I don't I don't see how it would be successful either. Uh, there is you know also the issue of it being in Saudi Arabia. Like Saudi Arabia does not have a history of top. They didn't do that with Live though. They have like events around the world. Yeah. Um, but, but I. I don't think yeah. like the infrastructure of tennis is there in that country where, you know, if you did that in the United States, you might have enough tennis players at enough levels to, you know, kind of have a, a team system and maybe your local team plays out of your, I mean, I don't know, your local club or something once a week. And you could kind of get something like that. I know they had a uh, world team tennis was, you know, a similar idea to that, but. That was a flaw. It was a flaw. Yeah, no, that that wasn't something I thought was too fun. So I, I guess it wouldn't necessarily work in the same way. And you know, tennis is a primarily individual sport, unless you count doubles as you know a little bit more team based. But it it doesn't really lend itself as easily to uh, you know a multiple match environment as a lot of other sports would. No, I I completely agree. Uh, I'm I'm personally not worried about it. I think tennis is just such a complex sport and roadmap. You know, you look at all the guys that are in the top 100, there's no one really has the same story of how they got there. You can't buy a whole, you know, I'm thinking of like a a tree and then the root system underneath. You can't just buy the whole root system. It would be impossible. The the players that feed into the, you know, the the top 100, which is what you see on television. You can't buy that. Um, But, yeah, one um, interesting thing I I thought was Rune was included in this six-man lineup. And obviously, it, he has the only one that hasn't won a Grand Slam. So I thought, you know, raise a question for me. You know, you've got four active guys that have won slams, you know, obviously at the tail end of their careers now. You've got Andy Murray, Stan Wawrinka, Marin Cilic and Dominic Team. So I guess they've placed more commercial value on getting ruined than those four other guys. Do you have any thoughts on, on you know, why that decision has been made? Do you see that? Do you understand that decision? Um, I think maybe, I, I mean, I don't know what their thought processes were, but maybe one element of it was you kind of have two or three players of an older generation. So, you know, Rafa and Novak, I mean, they're technically right around the same age. And if Federer were still playing, you know, he'd be the third person in that group. But you kind of got Rafa and Novak and then Medvedev, even though he's a good bit younger than them, was kind of, I would say, that third older person. And then they they've kind of, you know, put in the three, not big three of the younger generation, but I would say what people are expecting to be the potential next big three for the, the future of uh, Carlos, Yannick, and then Holger Rune in there as the third, even though he hasn't accomplished as much. I mean, he kind of fits the bill of being one of the next guys up in terms of, you know, potentially making a deep run into slam and already having success at the Masters 1000 level, even though, you know, he's been struggling pretty heavily, I would say, in the last six months. I just yeah. saw he, uh, he got rid of Severin Luthi because 
their schedules didn't match up enough. And then I saw another thing that said him and Boris Becker were uh, parting ways here soon. So yeah, I think that's a that's a we could do a whole episode on, on that situation and you know that that fire that's currently going on in his camp. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's it's interesting to see that because personally, I would have thought that Andy Murray would have brought more attention, more money, more commercial value to that six-man lineup than Holger Rune does. Mm-hmm. That would be my, my instinctive thought. But then you look at it and you're like, well, okay, so he's going to play Novak in the first round. He's going to lose most likely. So maybe that is the driving factor. You know, is it just not a, not worth having him there? Yeah, I mean, I don't that know. That sounded really harsh. Yeah, it, it maybe they're considering tennis level as part of their uh, part of their mantra, I guess. Even though Holgerun hasn't been playing, you know, too hot outside of that run-up tournament to the, the Australian Open, he still, I mean, has been better than Andy over the last six months to a year, even with his struggles. So that could do, be. Do, do more people want to watch Andy Murray? Am I am I being too biased here by by being a Brit that? I'm saying more people would want to watch Andy Murray than they would Holgerud. I would, uh, I would probably lean towards being more interested in seeing a Holgerud match, almost because, uh, I mean, he's just produced, I would say, more exciting tennis recently. I, I but just, a truly educated tennis watcher, you know, someone that you know, we're not, we're not talking about the, you know, the armchair tennis fan. We're talking about someone who's watched it for. They they've seen Andy Murray's whole career, right? I would I would almost lean towards the more tennis you've seen, maybe you'd be more interested. I and honestly could go both ways because I know we've both watched a lot of tennis and we kind of have I would say different opinions on this because I feel like if you're less in tune with tennis, you would be more interested in seeing Andy Murray because he's somebody you would recognize. And maybe, this, is I mean. this is a big name. This is just big name. Who are we going to say the six biggest names in tennis? And I yeah. would say Murray is a bigger name than Rude if it comes down to that. Yeah, no, I would I would definitely agree that he has, you know, more recognition and worldwide appeal than Holger Rune, almost for sure. But I guess maybe it did come down to, you know, trying to sign what are almost the top six players in the world. I believe they did leave out Andre Rublev, which is, uh, you know, maybe yeah. interesting because he's ranked five or six i believe and yeah you know osveros i mean that too that's enough there's a choice been made there and i'm I'm very interested to know why that decision has has been made um but based on on that what i've done here jacob is i've created our own tournament of champions so to qualify you must have won a grand slam so there are a total of nine active players that have won a grand slam okay the number one seed i've got novak Djokovic. number two rafa Three Andy Murray, four Wathrinka, five Alcaraz, six Medvedev, seven Sinner, and eight Team. And Marin Cilic is also on that list, but I decided to leave him out. No offense to, yep. to him. Um, so what I wanted, this is going to be in Saudi Arabia, so this is theoretical here. Uh, this is going to be on a, a fast hardcore, outdoor hardcore, kind of like Doha. You know, it's it's fast, it's slick, high humidity. Um. That's the court conditions, but let's. I want to see who wins this bracket. So we're going to talk about, you know, go through the matchups, you know, about 30 seconds each max, and then you move the person on. Okay. Good. That sounds good to me. All right. So 
at the top of the draw, I've got no. You take each player in their prime, okay? You know, not we're not talking about if they played tomorrow. Each player in their prime. So I've got Novak against Dominic Team in in the quarterfinals. It's easy, huh? Yeah, especially on a fast hard court. You got. I don't see any scenario where Dominic Team is, you know, winning against Novak Djokovic. The back draw for Dominic Team there. The short-lived tournament. Okay. <laughs> I got the fourth seed, Stan with Rinko against Carlos Alcaraz. That is a very interesting one because I would say over Vavrinka's career, the slower the surface, the better he's done. You know, winning three of the years. Oh, my goodness. That was some of the best tennis I've ever seen. Yeah, I, I think the sl- if it's a slow outdoor hard court, he's got a good shot. But the faster the courts play, the worse he does. Because we've never really seen him, you know, do well at the – masters at the end of the year and he's never made a deep wimbledon run so i think well i don't know that's a tough one what do you think because i would say carlos alcaraz has never been a extremely fast court player at least because wimbledon now is, plays pretty slow but i think it's a matter of question do you you know rodriguez won three grand slams so he's not you know it's not let's not let his last couple of years tarnish what yeah. we've seen of this he's won three alcaraz has won two Do we do you pick on potential or do you pick on? I mean, one of them, one of the grand standards took nothing away. Nadal was injured. He played lights out at the French Open, and he won the other Australian playing lights out too. Or was it the U.S. Open? U.S. Open. U.S. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I apologize. Um, But again, lights out. For me, I'm I'm in the wet rink camp. I'm yeah. Based on the the criteria that we're taking the player in their prime, Vavrinka has some of the highest highs of. uh, of any tennis player ever, I would say, and I, I think you have to pick him. But ask him two years time, and this is a whitewash. This is yeah, a two. I, this is a two and two win for for the I don't think we've seen Carlos Alcaraz at his prime in any sort of way yet. Um, what a match that would be, though. That would this, be awesome. Yeah, that, yeah. Sorry, man. I'm keep interrupting. <laughs> no, you're good. Um, okay, next, moving down. The the man, the myth, the legend, Andy Murray, number three seed, against yeah, uh, Daniel Medvedev, the sixth seed. This one is very interesting because I feel like both of them have wildly different games, but also similar in that they're not the ones that are necessarily, you know, stepping into the court and ripping big forehands like some other power players. But at the same time, Murray, you know, actually has a drop shot that you could use. I mean, I almost I think this is easy. Player. I think it is easy. I think yeah. it's really easy. I think this one goes Murray's way pretty easily. Straightforward. You, yeah. The Wimbledon final against Novak, the Olympics against Federer. I, I, I think it's easy. Yeah. No, especially on a faster court, there's not really much Medvedev's going to be able to do to, to hurt Murray. And then, I mean, Murray's going to return his serve pretty easily. And then I'm almost like an Alcaraz type match where he can, drop shot, he can move the ball around, he can come forward. I think that plays perfectly into Medvedev's weaknesses. Yeah. Um, the interesting one with Medvedev, really, like, what, when is his prime? Like, wh- what has been his prime? Has he hit that prime yet? Um, very mysterious guy. Yeah, I would say, like, he's, I haven't really seen him play much better tennis than he has in recent years, but also he hasn't elevated his game to the point where he's, you know, beating some of these top guys in the biggest matches, like, you know, losing a couple times in five sets to Rafa, now to 
to center in another Grand Slam. Like I, I feel like he's in his prime, but at the same time, it's not, it's not the Open best. Version. Yeah, I tell you, that's a lot of lost Grand Slam finals in that matchup. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, la- last matchup of the quarterfinals. Um, recent Australian Open winner Yannick Sinner against the Spaniard Rafa Nadal. This is this is easy. Yeah, I got to go with Rafa in his prime. I mean, he won Wimbledon, you know, against Roger Federer in the that 2008 match. And I mean, granted, he hasn't really. Well, is this match indoors or outdoors? This is outdoors. This is Doha, which oh. is, you know, he historically didn't do very well, but. You know, when he lost to Michael Borea there. Do you yeah. remember that? This is still against Mike Sinner, who, you know, has played some pretty big matches, but has never, I mean, he's not at his peak either, similar to Alcaraz. So it's pretty easy to go to Rafa. All right, let's go. Uh, Novak against Wawrinka. This is very interesting because, you know, Wawrinka won two of his three Grand Slams against Novak. In, uh, in his peak. That was yeah. his peak, too. Yeah, one of them was, you know, he took him out at his uh, his favorite major, and he also beat him on that clay court final at the French Open. So, uh, I mean, we have to go with the best peak of all time. I would still probably take Novak on a faster outdoor hard court, but if this is like a slower one that Vavrinka has time on, that, that becomes very dangerous, I think. Yeah, I, I really I want to pick Vavrinka, but I, I can't because by saying – that Wawrinka is better than Novak at his peak, you're effectively saying that Wawrinka is at his peak is the greatest player of all time, which right. I, is, is ludicrous to say. Yeah, and I feel like Novak at his absolute best is not better, is not worse than Wawrinka at his absolute best. Like The matches where Wawrinka won, I wouldn't say Novak was playing his absolute best tennis. I mean, how can you play any sort of tennis against that sort of ball striking there? In exactly. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I mean, I've seen matches where similar to Vavrinka was Del Potro playing against Novak and he just kind of hit him off the court. I'm thinking mainly of like that Olympics in Rio, in that first round match where he just kind of, you know, hit, felt like 50 forehand winners over two sets. But there's not very many situations like that, I think, where Novak gets out hit that much on a fast outdoor hard court against Vavrinka. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of many of our matches. When I just out hit you off the court. Oh uh, yes, it, maybe if we flip it around and then just you know have me make forced error after unforced error. Nah, maybe, maybe, maybe we'll see. Couple of weeks, spring league. <laughs> um, okay, moving to the second semifinal, Andy Murray against Rafa Nadal. I, I think this is pretty easy. Nadal's peak yeah. of all those French Opens was. You know, you're saying that you know Rafa was worse on his peak on clay than Murray was on his peak on grass? I, no, no, Nadal's no. peak clay is the best possible peak I think you could have on a specific surface. Um, really, the it's only not, thing... The yeah, only the thing, court surface. I, I'm, I keep forgetting that this is a slow hardcore. No, fast hardcore. This is what we're, this is the question, though, because slow outdoor hard, you know, Rafa, I think, wins pretty easily. Fast compared, out- to, compared to grass, it's, it's a slow surface. True, true, yeah. yeah. I, I think Rafa gets it done, but I think it's a tight match just because I think earlier in their careers too, Murray had some good success against Rafa on some hard courts and especially some faster ones. So I think it's a tight three-setter, but Rafa you know, pulls it out pretty handily at the end. Yeah. I'll tell you what I did actually like. I liked their clay court meetings. It was such a, a chess match, but it's, uh, 
you should go if you haven't seen those highlights, which I'm sure you have, you should go and watch those. They were pretty, you know. That's the same with Ferrer. Like you can see two guys that kind of had the potential to be him on clay, try and work him out, but pretty much always come short. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think you know we've reached the final. Novak against Rafa. This you know basically you you explain this. Yeah, yeah, I would. I'm gonna go with Novak mainly. It's almost a surface thing because if this tournament were being played on you know Philippe Chatrier in France, then of course you go with Rafa, but. At the same time, I think if they're playing at Wimbledon, it becomes very close, but still edge to Novak. So I would I would go edge to Novak, both of their best, playing on outdoor hardcourt and fast hardcourt specifically, because I feel like the slower courts give Rafa just that little bit of extra time to step in and rip forehands versus, you know, Novak using the pace on the faster courts and redirecting on defense to kind of take control of the points. Yeah, how do you think the the U.S. Open courts compared to the you know the court that we're discussing in Doha? Yeah, I've always thought that the U.S. Open courts, at least in the last ten to fifteen years, have been relatively slow, especially with how hot it is at that point in the year. I feel like the courts normally just have a lot of long rallies. I'm I'm kind of thinking back to Rafa playing against Medvedev, where they're just they seem like they're out there hitting shot after shot, and same with Rafa versus Dominic Team in that I've said battle, like just a lot of long sweaty matches. Um, And I feel like historically the Australian open has been a little bit faster. I remember some years they've been saying like the conditions are specifically made to favor Novak just because he, you know, prefers a faster hard court. Um, So I think it almost depends a little bit on the surface because, you know, Rafa at his best on hard court was really, really good in that 2013 final against Novak. But I think, when you compare that year to Novak's best years, maybe like 2015, 16, and then 2011, maybe even in like a couple of his recent seasons, like I think that Novak is a little bit better on hardcore versus Rafa. Yeah, I think I agree. I think any kind of hardcore, really. Yeah. If you, you know, if it, as a Rafa fan, being truly honest, you, you, you can't pick anyone. You know, even if you were to throw open this drawer up all time, the best eight players of all time, I don't think you can really argue on a hard court that anyone is, is, has been, or will potentially be better than Novak. So yeah. I, let's let's crown him the winner. It's reluctant that I circle his name here. Um, <laughs> joyous for you, of course. I will throw out one more stat just to, you know, to show my Novak Djokovic fandom. I, I believe... Salt in the wounds. And yeah, it's been... Uh, Maybe eight or nine years at this point since Rafa's beaten Novak off of a clay court or something like that. I, it may have been that 2013 U.S. Open final was the last time that he he took down Novak off of clay. So you know, just to throw that out there, maybe that sways our uh, our leanings a little bit. But a 10 year time span where he couldn't beat one of you his. Could have, you could have opened that. You could have opened this debate with that, and we but could I have saved five minutes. I, and the uh, and the debate before it started, you know, got got You couldn't, you couldn't. No, with that with that uh, golden nugget of knowledge from the all-knowing Jacob Andrus, that about wraps it up for this episode. Join us on Sunday for another episode of Around the Net Post. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, I've been George Barfoot. And I'm Jacob Andrus. And as always, remember, always go around the net post.